Hello, hello. Thank you for joining this evening. We will get started in about five minutes. Thank you for joining. Let me get this room set up. John, John Mack, quick microphone check for you, sir. Should be on the lower right of your screen, a little microphone. You can uh, click that and it should allow you to unmute. How's that? There we go. Say something. There you go. I I hear you loud and clear. (laughs) We figured it out. (laughs) You sound a little far from the mic, though, for me. I don't know if you are. Yeah, maybe it's my maybe it's my volume. Let me see. No, my volume's turned up. Oh, how's that? There you go. That's better. All right. I'll I'll just talk. I'll talk louder. That's all. All right. Sounds good. I'll I'll go on on mute until you until you call me out. How's that? Sounds perfect. Sounds perfect. I'm just going to get the room set up, uh, let people fall in, and uh, and then we'll make a start in in a few minutes. Just bear with me. Yes, Curious if we'll have anybody from uh, Florida on. I noticed the uh, hurricane's making their way, or the hurricane is making its way, doing some damage along the lines of uh, knocking out internet and communication systems and the like. So hopefully everybody in the Florida area are doing well. How's your week going so far, John? Fantastic. So you uh, opened up at, uh, at that conference. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was on the. I did a keynote panel at a, which. Uh, yeah, it was. That was actually a lot of fun. Um, it was fun. I I made it into uh, into Orlando. And managed to make it back just before the uh, just before the hurricane. So, yeah, Hurricane Ian did not did not delay me. Oh, good. Yeah. And there were a good amount of people that actually attended uh, the conference. So the conference, uh, I think, was pretty successful, all things considering. Um, let's see. Oh, wow, there's no topic for military service. That is interesting. That is interesting. Okay. Trying to add some topics to the room this evening. And let's see. Here we go. All right. I think I'm good right now. I think I got the three topics. 
Here it is, entrepreneurship, some networking and chill vibes. I know, I know. Lisa Beth, quick microphone check for you. Hello, hello, hello. Can you hear me? Loud and clear, coming in loud and clear. Excellent. It's good to see everybody here tonight. Awesome. I like that, right? Excellent. That's uh, Latino Heritage Month or Hispanic Heritage Month. I appreciate that. Um, Anil, quick microphone check for you, my friend. Hello, hello. There it is. There he is. All there right. Oh, we're doing okay. Doing okay. Uh, staying dry, not in Florida, so staying dry. Hopefully our friends in Florida are doing okay down south or south of where I am. Uh, I'll say east of where you are, Lisa Beth, far east. Um, all right, look, this is our weekly fireside chat. Uh, everybody, I do see a lot of familiar faces in the room. Uh, I do see just one person that's new. So I just want to give you a quick shout out. Thanks for joining. And uh, you have that little party hat or celebration hat. So thanks for joining Clubhouse. Uh, and thanks for being a part of this conversation this evening. Um, we do this every single Wednesday uh, for about an hour and a half or so. We'll ask our guests. In this case, we have uh, John McLaughlin, uh, who's the CEO, founder and CEO of a company called Guardsite. And we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, we'll ask him questions for about 30 or 45 minutes or so. And then we'll open up for the audience to, to raise a hand, jump up on stage, and we'll bring you up on stage and you can ask a question. Top left of your screen, right next to where it says Fireside Chat, if you are not a member of our club, you can click that little greenhouse and join our club. Uh, you can listen to playbacks from prior guests and you'll be able to listen to this one as well once we conclude the show. And you can see who's gonna be on the show next week and thereafter. Uh, so we encourage you to join our club. We're friendly, we don't bite. Um, unless we're really hungry, but I don't think we buy it at all. Um, our comments for, for the majority, uh, for some of us, at least our comments are and opinions expressed this evening are our own and do not represent our current or prior employers. So please keep that in mind. Um, feel free to, you know, take a little snapshot and things like that and share on, with uh, with your folks on, on Twitter, LinkedIn, or wherever you want. Uh, any of the portions of the show that are recorded, uh, you can feel free to share that. If you do want to quote us in the newspaper, whoever buys a newspaper or electronic, uh, we ask that you just please uh, connect with the uh, individual that you want to quote uh, and be respectful of, of that. Um, the last thing that I'll say is, look, let's have fun. It's Wednesday. It's the middle of the week. We try to do this as a as an opportunity to sort of let our hair down, if you will, de-stress, and uh, really just have a conversation and get to know our guests. So if you're a vendor in the audience uh, and you do want to come up on stage and sell us on your latest and greatest product, product or service offering, one, I appreciate you, but two, let's not do that this evening. Let's really focus in on on John McLaughlin or, or John Mack, as, a, as, as I know he likes to be called. Uh, let's focus in on him and his journey and, and get to know a little bit more about the man who uh, created uh, GuardSight. So without further ado, I'm just going to go around the room. John, I'll leave you for last. We'll just introduce ourselves. I'm Tomas Maldonado. I'm the CISO at the NFL. Lisa Beth, over to you. Hi, my name is Lisa Beth Lentini-Walker. Um, I have a compliance, ethics, and corporate governance consulting firm. And my new news from this week is that I am also the assistant general counsel at Marketo, which is a fintech company running the backbone of lots of payments 
that you may enjoy, like Uber and DoorDash and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, I teach compliance and ethics and legal things and uh, also wrote a book, but I'm excited to be here. Let me turn it over to Anil. Thanks, Lisa. Uh, Anil Varghese. I'm a virtual CISO and also the co-author of the CISO Mentor. Um, just fun fact for this week, got back in from overseas and just in time to evacuate from Tampa Bay. So, uh, hoteling it for the week, but it's all good. Part of the part of the biz and travel. Back to you, Jamas. Man, Anil, are you are you evacuate you evacuated outside of Florida or you evacuated to a hotel still in Florida? Just a different part that's not going to be impacted. Nah, I thought about hanging out in close by, but I, I went ahead went ahead and evacuated to Nashville, so I'm hoteling in Nashville for the week. Awesome. Well, that's a good state, a nice uh, yeah. nice city, I guess. I've never been, but I hear good things about uh, that Nashville area. All right. Uh, I do see, oh yeah, hang on, I thought I saw something. Yep. Oh, wow, I do see Naveen has joined us. Naveen, a quick introduction for you, my friend. Hey, Tomas, I'm on a trade, but I'll introduce myself. I'm Naveen, I'm the head of third party from TD Bank, and I'm looking forward to today's conversation. Thanks, Naveen, thanks for joining us. And uh, Lisa Beth, congratulations on your new role. Really excited to uh, to hear how that goes and, and uh, at some point in time. So without further ado, I want to I want to introduce John Mack. John Mack, why don't you take a, a few moments and you can take as long as you want to get to introduce yourself. And while you're doing that introduction, John, if you why don't you tell us about you and your origin story? Okay, I can do that. Uh, so Tomas, first, thanks so much for inviting me. I appreciate it. Um, I've attended, you know, several of these fireside chats. They're great. They're educational and inspirational. They're fun, kind of a good way to break up the middle of the week. So I, I appreciate the appreciate the invite, and uh, I appreciate the panel uh, taking time out of their schedule tonight too. And of course, all the people that are that have joined us as well. So yeah, my name is John McLaughlin. John Mack is what they call me. They've called me that since uh, since I was a kid. And uh, you know, my story starts you know in the late. I'm the CEO of GuardSite, founder and CEO of GuardSite. My story starts, you know, in the late 1960s in, in Boston. So I'm a Boston guy, uh, although I, I live out west now. I live in Utah, but I was born in St. Elizabeth in, in Brighton. So for those of you that are familiar with the Boston area, if you know where Fenway Park is, then you know where you probably know where Brighton is. My family's all from Mission Hill and Roxbury. Is that where the uh, Red Sox lost to the? Is that where the Red Sox lost to the Mets, John Mack? <laughs> I'm just curious. Yeah, I, I, don't, you, I don't know. You, you, you know, I teed that up for you, right? So, <laughs> uh, I think the Pats may have also lost to one of your teams too, but we'll, we'll save that for later. Um, but yeah, you know, when you're a kid growing up in, in the Boston area, you know, you, they, they basically when you you know when you when you're born, they put you know Red Sox you know, caps on here and you know, that, that kind of stuff. So uh, anyway, for those of you who are familiar with Boston area, you most certainly know where Fenway is and it's a great place and Bottom Street. Um, my family's all from Mission Hill and Roxbury. Um, I think it's all been since gentrified, but you know, when they were growing up there, it was a little bit different. Um, one of my uncles has a saying that, you know, he's, he spent his entire life, he couldn't afford to get out and now he can't afford to get back in. So that, that kind of deal. When I was probably six-ish, my parents, you know, moved my, my brothers, there's, there's four of us, I was the first one out, first of four boys, they moved us up to uh, 
a small town up on the seacoast of New Hampshire called Newmarket. So if you're familiar with the seacoast of New Hampshire, you know that's it is. Exeter, Portsmouth, Durham, just neighboring town for the University of New Hampshire, which is a great school and awesome, awesome place to grow up. You know, my parents were, they were, they were disciplinarians, you know, not ridiculous, but you know, they, they taught us how to work hard and be respectful, be polite. You know, I grew up Irish Catholic, you know, giving, helping others, doing, you know, serving a community, that type of stuff. And, you know, most importantly, we were, you know, expected to do well in school, which we did. Um, you know, we were accountable for our actions, that kind of stuff. And, you know, my brothers and I were always outside back then, you know, when I was growing up in the, the late 70s, I guess. You know, there, there were no, you know, I guess, you know, computer games and stuff were just starting to come in, but, but we weren't really introduced to those, to them. So we were always outside playing sports and fighting each other and fighting anybody who wanted to fight us and, you know, just being, just being kids, being boys. And, you know, it was, it was a great place. Um, you know, we were probably lower middle class, middle class, lower middle class back then, but, you know, we had a, we had a really great loving family. And uh, I, I would say, you know, today... If I look back and see, you know, what was the root of, you know, my love for teens, which is what I've always grown through my career and been a part of throughout my career, I'd have to say it was, you know, my family. Um, and, you know, my parents and my brothers were definitely the root of that, my love for teens. But, you know, teens, teens break up. And so uh, I think when I was around a freshman in high school, my parents got divorced. It wasn't like a brutal divorce or anything like that. Uh, but my mom did decide to move out to California for a couple years, and uh, and I went with her, because as a kid growing up, <clears throat> even though I think we had rabbit ears or you know television antenna, you can imagine you know things like chips and uh, what was it Squad Fifty One and Adam Twelve and you know all those things and um, you know Cal California was the place you wanted to be, and so my mom moved to California, and I said, hey, I'm I'm going with you. And so I went out, one, my, one of my other brothers went out with me, and uh, I, spent a, I spent a year out there. And it, it, was, it, was, a, it, was, it was much different. So in the, in the town that I grew up in, in New Hampshire, you know, it was, we had, our primary education was awesome. I mean, we'd have, you know, 13 kids in, you know, you know high-level math class or a high-level, you know, English and debating and civics and, you know, all these things that they taught us, but the classes were really small, so you got a lot of attention. You were expected to, to read. When I went to California, that, that was much different. Not that the education was bad, it was just, a, you know, the classes were huge. Um, I mean, there was probably more kids in a gym class in, you know, Monterey High where I went than it maybe was in my entire graduating class when I, you know, returned, when I returned to, um, you know, New Hampshire for my junior, senior year. But it was a great experience. It was almost like a you know foreign exchange experience. I mean, I went thirty five hundred miles away to a different coast with much different weather, with much much different culture. People were pronouncing their ahs, which was much different. And you know, and I and I was a you know a, a captain of the soccer team as a sophomore. So you know, there was a, there was a lot of good vibe from that, and I and I learned a lot. And you know, growing up, I played all kinds of sports. I played you know high school soccer. I played baseball, I played ice hockey on, uh, on what was called Junior Bs back then. I don't know if they still have it, but that's what it was when I played. And, uh, you know, and I went to college in Ohio. Uh, I walked on in a D1 team as a soccer player. Um, but when I was in school, you know, my dad died when I was like 19, and I kind of lost interest in college. And 
now is admittedly lost for probably a couple years. And so, you know, my parents had, had taught us how to work and they had always, we'd always had that work ethic and that grind, which I still have today. Uh, and it's and it's through the culture of my company. For any of you that know, for any of you that know my company and my team, you'll you'll experience that culture. Um, and I and I owe that to my parents. And so when I when I left school, uh, you know, I needed to work. I needed to make money, just like every other you know tax paying American adult. And uh, and I and I I got on to probably one of the best jobs I ever had. Had nothing to do with tech. It was a, a job that was a house framing crew. So I was like the low man on the totem pole of a house framing crew. And I learned so much about systems and organizational efficiency and all these things that I would learn later on in life through not only my experiences, but the books that I read and the people that I hung out with and you know, really sharp entrepreneurs, business people. But, you know, a lot of that came from, from those systems. It, it was, you know, the guy that ran that was this just hardcore disciplinarian systems guy, high level of intellect, you know, put himself through school. He just knew how to get stuff done. And it was, it was, it was awesome. It, it's crazy. It really had nothing to do with the technical aspects of anything that I, that I would do later on in my career. Uh, but it had a lot to do with understanding how to get people motivated you know, and how to accomplish shared objectives. I mean, when you're, you know, in a, if you're, if you're familiar with the region in, in New England, you know, if you're in a, you know, zero degree weather or minus zero degree weather in the middle of the winter roofing houses, you know, you, you got to get people motivated. And <laughs> he, he figured out how to do that. And it was, it was just phenomenal. I was a student of the system more than, more than anything else. Um, so it was, a, it was an awesome experience and, and I learned a trade. And I always felt like that was something you know, I could always fall back on. And even today, you know, if I, I you know, mostly today I, I hire contractors to do stuff. But if I have to do something, you know, I know how to do it because I learned that. I also learned that from my dad and, and other things. Anyway, uh, you know, that was good. But, uh, I, you know, I moved back to California when I was in my 20s. And, um, and uh, I, I know I did a little bit of construction there. But what I, I got a break. I, I just, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. And. Probably, you know, one of the, one of the, you know, we have a professional, uh, our director of professional development here at GuardSite is a guy named Richard Vallejo. And if any of you have met him, he, he's, a, he's just a phenomenal individual, super talented, super intellectual, same kind of background. He's you know, done really well for himself, put himself through school, you know, he's got a couple of master's degrees. One of the things he says is that, you know, we hire potential. And I think we hire potential uh, you know, we, we also have PhDs and masters in computer science, and, and everybody that's formally educated on our team. But we also have, you know, guys that come out of the military that have no education in cyber, and we train them. We hire potential, and I would say those experiences that, you know, both of us had coming up into our careers probably, you know, probably help with that. And you know, I, I know, you know, I spent my career in corporate America uh, before I started grad site, and I'm still in corporate America because many of our, you know, large customers, of course, are large corporations, and we deal with, you know hundreds of you know, smaller corporations. And, um, you know, you, you, sometimes, you know, they, they're reluctant to take those, uh, those, you know, those types of individuals, mainly because they didn't have experience with them or maybe they're risking their careers, but, but we're not. Because you know, the, the aptitude uh, and the attitude is, is what we're interested in there. But anyway, uh, so I go back to California and I catch a break. 
Um, so if you remember, there was a company called Cabletron. If you're old enough to remember Cabletron, they were a networking company that spawned up in you know, the early to mid 80s and made, you know, mid to late 80s. And this was back before, you know, this is just when we were starting to network computers together. So, you know, network Apple IIs together and PCs. And if you remember back in the day, we, you know, they had these big, huge transceivers. And uh, like, I think ours was called an ST500. And, you know, you'd tap, you know, cable, coaxial cable, and you'd run this cable, you know, coaxial cable down to these computers. And that's how they talked. You know, you have, you know, different topologies, but, you know, most of it was like bus topologies. And, and, and I got an opportunity to go to work for Cabletron. And I went there as a project manager, as a pro project coordinator. That's where I started my career. I started my career in project coordination. I had no idea what project coordination was about from maybe a formal perspective, but I had that experience from you know, working on you know, various construction teams. So this is in my early 20s, probably 21, 22-ish. Somewhere in there, and I just, you know, I knew what I, I, I didn't know what I didn't know, but I knew what I had, and I didn't let it go, and I took advantage of it, and I took it seriously, and took the, you know, every, you know, every chance I had to, to learn that craft, and the thing that I did, um, that I encourage all, even, you know, my kids that, uh, my, I said my kids, my employees that come out of, you know, four-year colleges, or kids that, you know, have come out of tech schools, or whatever it is, is, you know, you know, you're, you're going to be the average of the best people that you hang out with. So be the best people that you possibly can find in your field. Learn from them and, and find out what they're reading or what they've read and get those books and learn those books. Read those books and then, you know, observe. And that's what I did. Um, I just would ask people questions. You know, what do you guys read? What, what is it? You know, what do I need to do? Where do I need to go to school? What do I need to do all that? And, and so I, I did that. And I started hanging out with systems engineers who were, you know, as we all know, were kind of the, we'll call them, the, you know, the glue between maybe the biz dev community. I don't know if we called it biz dev back then, but the biz dev community and our technical communities. So they're technical, but, you know, we, you know, joke back in the day, they could, they could talk to people <laughs> and they like to do that. They like to do that kind of stuff. And so I started hanging out with systems engineers and I learned that job, even though I was, you know, over, you know, uh, you know, basically being a project coordinator, which was, you know, kind of like, you know, customers would order something and we, you know, frame up, you know, documentation on what they ordered, which was an awesome experience, but I really wanted to be out with, you know, where the action was. And so I applied for a systems engineering job within the company and they, they took me. And, uh, and I also was assigned to a technical support unit. And so I was on the ground, you know, where the action was, dealing with salespeople, dealing with customers who... You know, where I ate once one of my, you know, my best stories is that I, I remember this distinctly. One of my probably, you know, maybe not one of my first, but pretty close to one of my first technical sport experiences where a lady calls and says, This is that's just when we were starting to build hubs. And she said, Our whole network's down. And, you know, obviously, you know, very distraught and under stress. And, which is also a great experience because I learned how to deal with people that were under stress. So later on, when you know, when I was an incident responder in large companies like Bank of America or these you know, other Warner Brothers or wherever it was, Harbor Freight, wherever these organizations were where I was assigned, uh, you know, you, you have to learn how to deal with that. And these are really big situations, and I'm sure you know several people in this organization, CISOs or other high-level, you know, technical people, know exactly what happens when that goes down. 
And so it's very stressful. And I, and I learned to deal with that primarily through tech support. But anyway, this lady called, she says, hey, my whole network's down. And so I'm, you know, said, okay, well, let's see if we can help you out. You know, why don't you go to where this hub is? And she says, okay, and she goes. And of course, back then there were no cell phones or anything, so all the transferring calls on the rooms, and she's talking in this data center. And I said, okay, so there should be a bunch of, you know, lights on the box, what's that? Oh, there are no lights on the box. No lights on the box, well, that's not good. So, well, what, what do you see? Well, there's this thing, it says, uh, it, there's two modes, it's in the OFF mode and the ON mode. And I said, why don't we go ahead and flip it into the ON mode? That's a true story, she put turn around the ON, and, you know, congratulations to that worker's up. superhero. Uh, but it kind of taught me also, like, you know, how to work stuff from the stack up, from the bottom up. And, th and that's the way I was trained, classically trained by, you know, the people that I worked with in the technical support community and systems engineers, learning how to work things from the ground up. And when I was on the ground as, you know, a cyber, uh, a cyber warrior, if you will, that, that's always how I dealt with stuff. I understood network communication really well, so I could intercept traffic and I could study traffic at various layers and determine you know, how threat actors are moving through the environment. And all that came from those jobs. It, it, I mean, that was just a kick-ass, that was a kick-ass job. I loved that job. Um, while I was there, though, one of the things that I got introduced to that, I, you know, was foreign to me uh, were recruiters, job recruiters. And I didn't know anything about job recruiters, except that they would somehow, you know, learn who I was. And they contacted me, because, of course, you remember back then, there was no LinkedIn. There was none of that. I mean... The web wasn't even around, and so I. They called me and they said, "Hey, we've got this, you know, great job. It's going to pay you more money, and you know, you're going to be, you know, a gajillionaire by coming to work for this company." And I'm in my early twenties, thinking that's exactly what I want to do. Uh, the, the gajillionaire part was interesting, but it was more interesting what you know the next company was about. So I went to work for this company called Rachel Datacom out of Florida. Many of you may know that company. These are old school companies. And I continued to live in the Silicon Valley. I should mention that the Cabletron was in the Silicon Valley. And, and, and that's another great thing that happened to me was, uh, you know, I got to move into the Silicon Valley and work with these great tech companies. And this was back before the Silicon Valley is what it is today. It was just, it was a crazy cool place to, to, to live. And it was, it was all tech, you know, this 24-7 tech. It was amazing. And there were so many super smart people and, of course, great institutions out there. Um, and, and I was, I was you know, fortunate and blessed that I just happened to be in the right place at the right time and be around just some crazy smart people who taught me a lot of really cool stuff. And, you know, again, would, would you know, allow me to educate myself. And uh, so I did that. I tried to, I went to work for this company called Wrinkle Datacom. I was living in the tech capital of the U.S., I was making good money. And probably maybe 18 months, of, you know, after that, I got another call from a recruiter. And this recruiter says, hey, there's this company out of Massachusetts on the, the 128, for those of you who are familiar with it, uh, called, called Proteon. And if you remember Proteon, um, there was a guy named there, chief scientist there, named John Moy. And John Moy was one of the inventors and co-authors of OSPF, which, of course, is a routing protocol. Um, and, and you know, Proteon was, you know, going to kick Cisco's ass and they were to do all that. They, did, they didn't quite achieve that status, uh, but, but the OSPF protocol was super interesting. And, you know, I kept moving up the stack. So, you know, when I was at Cabletron, you know, I was kind of down in, you know, layer two, layer three. And, and I went to Proteon and I kind of moved up the stack to, you know, four or five, I guess. And then, you know, and then later on, of course, uh, 
I would move up to the top of the stack and then I would, I would know all versions. So I kind of, my career kind of started at the bottom of the OSI model. When I say the stack, for those people that may not know what that is, the OSI model, of course, is a, is a, is a you know, abstract model that we use in computer science. And, uh, and, and that's what I did. I studied various things, different layers of the stack and, and took that throughout my career. Um, so while I'm at Proteon, you know, 1993-ish, 93 ish somewhere in there. Um, uh, I, so this is when Tim Berners-Lee, you know, um, you know, develops the web and releases the web. It might have been a little bit before that. It might have been 1990. It's a while back, but it was somewhere in there, 93 or so. Uh, but what happened right after that was that Mark Andreessen from uh, Nixa at the time, where he was at school, uh, in Illinois, releases Mosaic. And Mosaic was, for those of us that are old enough uh, to remember, was you know really the first browser, the, the GUI-based browser. We had other tools, like Archie and Veronica and all those tools. Um, and, but, but 93 was uh, when, when, uh, when Andreas releases Nixon. So I think Berners-Lee was probably a few years before that, maybe 90 or 91, something like that, sir. Um, so anyway, that, you know, the next best thing that happens, of course, is right around 1994, Torvalds releases Linux, and you know, I've been a Linux guy since then. I mean, I, I, even when I started my career, I, I don't, I think maybe one for one short stint, I might have been on a Microsoft system, you know, as a user. Of course, throughout my security cyber career, you know, I was on lots of Microsoft systems, and you know, in terms of investigations and figuring out what happened. Um, but, you know, Torvalds releases Linux, and my buddies and I are all Linux guys, and so, you know, we, we know how the web works, we know how the internet works, not very many other people know how all this stuff works, and so we start you know, doing things like setting up email servers and, you know, building websites. And so, you know, not only do we start building those websites, but, you know, again, we're hosting these, these email systems, and... You know, so we decided to start a company called WebVision. <laughs> and I started that company out of my living room in Pacific Grove, California. It was kind of maybe, you know, the, like the life of Jim Morrison, no car, you know, not a lot of money, but a lot of cool tech. And some of the largest financial institutions were running the email through, through my house. And of course, so we had no clue about business. I mean, nothing. Yet, you know, we probably had one guy on our team. There's maybe three or four of us. So we had one guy on our team that had some business acumen. You know, knew how to you know invoice people and that kind of stuff, but but the you know the the, the rest of us knew nothing about that. Um, so you know, we we needed to get some adult supervision in on this thing. We needed some we needed to get some people going. We're still in our twenties. You know, we got this business. I've got this you know job over at Proteon, and I got this side hustle going on. And that company down in Southern California, you know, essentially buys us, and. I, you know, I moved to Southern California. We, we keep our name the same, we don't rebrand, and you know, these people are stacked with you know, sophisticated business people. We start learning from them. We start building more websites. You know, we built auction sites. You know, we, built, we hosted systems. We had a data center. We built email systems. The dot-com era is coming around. You know, we raised north of you know, $72 million from you know, well-known institutions. And you know they bring in all kinds of professional management from you know all the you know some of the Ivy League schools and you know places like GE Capital and all these you know top level guys and you know we're down on the ground banging it out and you know it started to change for me it was um, 
the culture change, you know, it was almost like our North Star, you know, started to evaporate, or, you know, disappear into the background. The motives have changed for me, not me personally, but for the company. I, and I, I had gotten a lot of people, you know, good jobs, and, you know, we had a really good culture, and we were doing really good things. Um, you know, I, I look back now and think about, you know, the discipline and that, that I have in my company today and, you know, the discipline that I could have applied in that organization, but I just, at that time, I just didn't know it and I was a different role. And, and so I left. Um, and, uh, you know, that was hard. Uh, that was, a, you know, kind of another, you know, kind of maybe a family disruption for me. I, I'm still, you know, friends with many of the people back that were back then. Um, but it, it was an awesome experience and I loved it. Um, not shortly after that, you know, they, they kind of, you know, they became a victim of, you know, what I would say was the dot bomb that we all are familiar with. I, I was probably out a year, you know, maybe more. Um, when that all happened, it was unfortunate. We had a really good gig, but that's business, that's high stakes, that's the way it works, you learn. Um, I, you know, learned so much from web application development, database development, and I was very, still very technical. Uh, I had, you know, started to learn how to manage people. I had started taking management courses and learning about leadership. Uh, you know, my sports background and, and being captains on teams and stuff helped. I had always respected teams, my teammates. I got them motivated. Um, but, but, that, but that part of my life was over and probably took, you know, close to a year off and, uh, you know, did, did some up and down the coast, California, played some golf. And, but I, you know, then I, I was ready to go back in. So you know, I, I got called by a company down in LA um, and went to work running their engineering team, something called Infosys. And uh, I started to get more involved with security. I knew it when I was even, you know, in 1996, 1997, if I was thinking about how we designed stuff and built stuff back then with an application perspective and databases. And, you know, I think about, you know, even something simple as SQL I today, which is, you know, really kind of, I would say, you know, it's unfortunate that we still have that, that we, we, those, those errors still happen. But back then, that was crazy. I mean, there, nobody ever thought about that. that. That would have been like shooting fish in a barrel, but it wasn't really well known. Maybe in England, the Lovecraft guys came around, and, you know, much of this whole crew, those guys came around, they, they started to expose a lot of that. Uh, but, I, but I could see it coming. And it wasn't just at the application layer, it was across the board, it was throughout the stack. So I started to educate myself in cyber. Back then, I don't think we called it cyber. Um, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe we started to at the turn of the century. You know, by 2004, I had, uh, you know, I had picked up my CISSP, which was, I don't know how many folks had it back then, but it wasn't, you know, maybe 10,000. I don't know, Tomas, you may know the answer to that, but it wasn't as many as we have today. It's, I think it's still, you know, something people should really get. I, I, I don't specifically look for that. I don't advertise it much, uh, but, it, but it's, it was, a, it was a, I think it was a gold standard back then. It was probably still, you know, I would say probably a certificate that we encouraged, you know, team people to get. But anyway, I got that and uh, a colleague of mine that I actually knew from WebVision was running uh, countrywide security. Was a lot of perimeter security, networking security. There were some really sharp people with countrywide, super sharp people. And he called me and said, hey, I'd like you to come over here. And, what are you doing? And I told him what I was up to and said, Hi, you know, how'd you like to come over here and um, you know, manage one of our security teams? And he said, sure. So I, I'd love it. 
So I went over, it was, wasn't too far from where I was living at the time in Southern California, in the Ventura area. And uh, of course they were in Simi, and their, our office was in Simi. Had a beautiful cybersecurity operations center. Um, we had, you know, when I got there, that, that didn't exist at the time, but eventually it did. They built new buildings there. When I got there, the team was, you know, somewhat immature. Uh, we matured that, we brought in good weaponry, tools, You'll hear me use those terms interchangeably uh, now, um, and uh, and you know we just we stood up a beautiful security operations center, um, and we did all the right things. We were early adopters of ArcSight. Um, we you know we were first guys with SIMP. I had a lot of Linux experience and background in that, so we were heavy Syslog folks. Some of you that know you know my company will probably still see some of that around uh, in terms of just like raw Syslog environments and that kind of stuff. So I, we knew all that, and now it's very technical, and now I had some, you know, I had also acquired some management experience throughout the year, so I was leading these teams, and I love those teams. Matter of fact, I have a, a food drive here in our building in Utah, in southern Utah, on Saturday, October 1, and before that, right before that, is I have a call with one of the folks that, you know, was one of the first guys on my team, came out of the military, he worked Patriot Missiles, and he was probably a help desk guy, and I recruited him over to work on the firewall team. And you know, we're still you know great friends today. He, he lives out on the East Coast, but you know, he sent me a text a couple of days ago and said, "Hey, I'd love to catch up." So uh, I said, "Well, we're on the food drive on Saturday. Why don't we talk?" Anyway, you know, the point about that is that all those relationships, all those connections, all those teammates, all that experience, all that you know, came right up to countrywide. And then, of course, the, you know, uh, the financial crisis hits. Uh, you know, we get bombed by Bank of America, and uh, and that was boom. That got even bigger. Like my world really got big. I had been part of large organizations because even though the companies I worked for, maybe you know, Raycal was was a fairly large organization. And Proteon, I don't know how many they, people they had, five hundred or whatever. But now I was you know at a company with three hundred thousand people, and massive amounts of assets, huge landscapes, places, you know, every, you know uh, applications and systems and data, you know, all over the country, all over the world for that matter. And uh, and we ended up taking over the security operations for Bank of America. And as a matter of fact, the CISO of Bank of America today, uh, Craig Froelich, who, who some of you may know, is still a very good friend of mine. Um, and he, he was, you know, he, he ended up becoming the CISO of Bank of America, and it started back then when we transferred countrywide. And there were so many great guys at Bank of America, great gals at Bank of America, great people. Um, and I'm still, you know, colleagues with them. But I really learned that, you know, high stakes, uh, large enterprise, you know, governance risk compliance, those things I really hadn't been exposed to because up until that point, I was uh, really on the customer side. And now I was, uh, excuse me, on the, on the supplier side, service provider side, and, and now I'm actually on the customer side. And, 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 I, and I develop relationships with you know, legal and co compliance and you know, governance risk and architecture. Just all the things that you know, all of you, many of you that are on the call understand today. Um, you know, talk about you know, being, um, Anyway, in governance, risk, compliance. So I, I developed all those skills and learning how to work with those teams. And you know, when they would send people down, you know, check boxes and stuff like that. 
and you know, making sure that we were good to go. And all and our security was so so great. And the other thing that I that we had there that was just you know massively cool was the amount of you know it was like we had a, you know unlimited budget. Of course, I wouldn't say it was unlimited, but we had you know budgets like we've never seen before. And it was like you, know, you could spend money to you know get the weaponry that you needed to fight the bad guys. And and I think that's smart. Um, you know, I, I train with a, I'm a civilian, but I train with a lot of military people still today in various, you know, tactical things. And we, we always talk about, you know, applying the best, you know, the best equipment, the best kit, the best tools to the situation that we're going to be dealing with. And, and that's what we did. And, you know, and I, I learned all that there at Bank of America. And I had a great time and I built, you know, I managed lots of people there and had offshore teams and teams across the country. And... I had just a fantastic experience, and I'm still friends with so many people there, and I've learned an incredible amount. I, I, you know, I'm always thankful for the opportunity that I got there. When I was there, um, you know, one of the things that I noticed was that there were so many, there was very, a lot of soft targets, and these soft targets were, you know, our compliance folks, you know, our CISOs, you know, the, you know, just supply chain soft targets. And it wasn't so much that they could attack, like, you know, the Central Fortress of Bank of America, because we had the weaponry, we had the talent, we had the tools, we had the best people. You know, we could acquire talent, we had headcount. It was that they would attack these soft targets, and these soft targets were essentially straws in a, you know, up into the liquid, if you will. It was a conduit, a way to get in. And I saw that as an off-market opportunity, and I, you know, Predominantly saw that as small business and small medium enterprise businesses. And so I, I think, you know, that was probably when I started to itch again for entrepreneurship. I had been out for, you know, probably 10 years as an entrepreneur and back in, you know, working in corporate America and I just started to itch again. So I, so I left and uh, I stayed on for a year. I was going to leave almost a year earlier and, you know, they said, hey, you stay on and you know, we'll see where it goes. So I did that. But, you know, I whole time I just wanted to get out and, and go do my own thing and, and quite frankly if I look back probably the thing that drove me out of there the, the most or I wasn't driving out I was driving towards something so I'll change that but if I had to look back and say what would, what didn't you like about that I would say the you know the, the endless meetings that I had to go to probably was one of the things that I just didn't get out like one of my favorite books is you know meetings suck or the seven books that are written on meetings suck maybe more than that now uh, and, and but if anything, it was just you know another motivator for me. But that, but I wasn't like I was running away from anything. I was running towards towards something. So I started GuardSight, and uh, you know the idea was uh, I would um, you know uh, I, I raised a small amount of friends of friend, you know, friends of family capital, and I wanted to target the small to medium sized business and small to medium sized enterprise today, which of course is just a massive market opportunity. And that's predominantly our market opportunity. We, you know, we, we have both the large enterprise premium customers, uh, and but the, you know the, the majority of our units, if you will, is spent in the SMB SME space. Uh, but back then, the SMB SME space wasn't nearly as sophisticated as it was now, and the bad guys still weren't really targeting them the way that they target them now. They were still going after you know, the, 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 the big guys, not that they don't do that today. You know, many of you on the call know that, that they still do that today, but they are certainly going after the soft targets. And so I did that. And, but probably for the next five years, 
of six years of guard site, you know, it was really more like, hey, come, come, you know, can you come, you know, help us get our security operations center together? Can you help run our security operations center? And so I spent more time doing that, you know, really as a consultant than I did building, you know, building what it, my business or what guard site's business is today. I should say our business, all of my employees are on our cap table. Uh, our business today, uh, which is servicing the, the SMB, SMB market space, probably around 213, 214, maybe, maybe, yeah, right around there, you know, the business started to transform into what it is today, which is a predictable performance revenue model, you know, limited set of core services that our customer, all of our customers buy from us. And uh, it's, a, you know, we're in, a, we're in a growth market. But one of the cool things that I got between, you know, say the time that I was, you know, when I started GuardSite, I was very much on the ground as an entrepreneur, you know, wearing multiple hats. I had got so much experience with corporate America and been exposed to great attorneys and, you know, every, everybody across, you know, all spectrums of business. And they were all my colleagues and they were all mentors and, you know, provided me great advice. Is, is I'm really blessed to have known all these people. And the deal, but you know, I was a ground pounder. But what I got up until that point was just I saw so many environments, and I was in some of the largest security operations center in the world. And I'll give a shout out to, to one guy that probably, you know, really kind of helped me from a mentor perspective. He was a couple years younger than me, um, but uh, it was you know uh, a guy over at, at Warner Brothers. I had gone over to Warner Brothers to. The, the interesting thing about that is I had been, I had taken an assignment down at, in, at Sony, um, and, and I, about, when I was scheduled to go down there, you know, in two weeks before I was scheduled to go down there, you know, Warner Brothers called, and Warner Brothers was close to my home, so, you know, it would be easier for me to get back and forth on the weekends, that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and this is LA, I was only probably, you know, 80 miles from, you know, the studios, but for those of you that are familiar with LA, 80 miles, you know, that, that might, that could, that could be a day, tri day worth of travel. And so, the, you know, Sony was down in, in San Diego. And interestingly enough, I, I, I rejected that offer and I ended up going to, you know, run, uh, you know, Warner Brothers, work with, work with uh, Ron Dilly over at Warner Brothers. And, you know, he, he's, he ended up being their CISO over there. And, and, you know, I worked directly with him. Of course, I was a gunslinger on my own corporation. Uh, and, and had people working there. But I would say, if I look back, it was one of the single, you know, one of my single biggest mentors was Ron. Um, I was mid-stage of my career. I knew what I wanted to be when I grew up, uh, but I got some just hardcore mentoring on that and some hardcore, you know, security operations. I had, I had all that at Bank of America, but this was even more intense. And, you know, we had, you know, studios all around the world and, uh, in a, in, in just, you know, a wonderful experience. Uh, I'll tell us a funny story and then I'll, and I'll start to wrap up here, Thomas, Thomas so, that the, so that people can ask questions. Uh, one, one of my first times on the lot at WB, uh, when I would say, you know, that you were allowed to, you know, go on the lot without adult supervision, you're all badged up, and you know, you're in the commissary, and, you know, Hollywood still, you know, today, you know, can be a romantic place. Like, if you think about old Hollywood, it was, you know, it was, it was just cool, you know, straight up cool. And uh, I was on the lot, and I'm walking from back from the commissary back to our tower on Olive, and uh, and this you know and it's a working lot, it's a working studio. They're making movies there, they're making TV, you know, a lot of TV stuff you see today is still made on the lot, and it's also a tour, people tour tour stuff. People are touring. They have little tour buses that run through. They have little trams, 
and there's a tour tram full of you know just Japanese tourists that are running, and they had stopped, and whatever picture they were taking, of course, I somehow was you know in line with that, and you know so I start waving to them, and all of their pictures just start you know take, taking pictures of me, so I'm convinced that throughout you know mantles in, in Japan, there's pictures of Johnny Mac running around there, as you know. Uh, I just happened to be in the, in the show. Photobomb, I guess, is what they would call it today. But anyway, those experiences are great. I started to, you know, I had some butt in the seat. I had a butt in the seat business back then, staff augmentation, had a bunch of really great people. And then I just started to transform the business, 214, 215, 216, really started to pick up some, some speed. And, you know, and now today we have, a, you know, a company of, you know, 45 people. We have, you know, multiple uh, customer spectrums across, you know, plethora of industries. Uh, you know, I learned how to manage at scale uh, through my experiences with all the big socks that I performed in, you know, Pacific Life, Warbucks, Home Freight, so, you know, all, all these just massive socks and learning how to run those ops. And, and uh, you know, and today that, that's what we have. We have a, you know, a robust, uh, very robust business. You know, we probably have been, we, we still are on our own capital, our own dime. We've probably been courted by, I don't know, no, no, you know, this is probably understating it, you know, well over 125, you know, PE, you know, IB, uh, you know, not so much VC. We're not widget makers, so they're not so much interested in, the, you know, family offices, investors, everybody knows. And, and we just stayed to continue to grow our business organically and, you know, build a really good, strong, solid culture of, you know, mission-oriented teams, um, and, uh, and, and, you know, so that that's kind of leads up to where I'm at and, and what I'm doing now. Wow. So, so much there to unpack. Uh, you definitely set the record for, for intros, John Mack. So take your time, grab a, grab some water. Uh, I'm just going to do a very quick room reset and I'll turn it over to, to our other mods to, to ask questions. Uh, if you just joined us, uh, you, you missed a, a, a very rich and detailed story of, of John Mack's, uh, uh, pretty pretty interesting career. He took us down memory lane, made a few references to, to technologies, and and showed us uh, the before and after of uh, of the internet, if you will, which I'm sure many of us in the audience and on stage can uh, can relate with. Um, with that said, this is our weekly fireside chat. I do see some party hats or celebration hats. Uh, thank you again for joining us. I uh, see a few new faces. Uh, some who may look like bots in the audience, but hey, all are welcome. Uh, and if you uh, if you want to uh, sort of ask a question, raise your hand. We'll bring you up on stage, uh, and you can queue up. Uh, we're gonna pass it over to Lisa Beth Lentini Walker to ask her question of John Mack. Hey, John. I have been enjoying listening to you this evening, um, and my question for you really revolves around. Um, skills for the new environment. I hear a lot of people who are interested in making transitions into um, compliance, uh, security, risk, etc. What do you think are the skills for that that will be needed going forward? Yeah. So thank thank you for the question, Lisa. Um, yeah, so I kind of, I try, I think of, you know, I, I bifurcate, I, you know, I, there are, I don't know how many domains we have in security, you know, probably a dozen. And, you know, it's, I kind of think of those as like your MOS, um, you know, after you've been in security for some time. 
and I bifurcated into just our tactical operational units and then our strategic, you know, and I'll put governance risk and component in there. And, and we both need each other. And for those of us that have spent a lot of time in large corporations, we, we fully appreciate that. I, I don't know, I don't always, I don't know that tactical people when they first enter you know, the arena, I'll always appreciate that, but for the less experienced people, we most certainly appreciate that. So what I would say is, you know, governance, risk, and compliance, I mean, I, I would love to see people start at the tactical, you know, the tactical level when they enter cyber. And the reason I say that is because, and you may, you may, you may, may agree or disagree with me on this, Lisa, but I, but I think sometimes, you know, GRC teams uh, don't understand the tactical teams, what they do, and the tactical teams don't understand the GRC teams and what they do. And, and really, more rich than that is their value proposition. Um, and so I, I'd like to see team, I'd like to see players that you're even going in the GRC space, you know, either start in the tactical space and or rotate into tactical for a while. And and I would say vice versa, getting tactical people into the GRC space, you know, oftentimes tactical people get into the GRC space and you know that's not for them, or GRC people get into the tactical space and that, that's not for them. But as far as the skill sets go, um, you know, they're, they're, they're two different worlds. Um, uh, and so for the tap, for the GRC side, which is the side I think you were talking about for in terms of risk and risk management, I think there's a lot more education, uh, you know, formal education that needs to happen there than, you know, maybe just making con daily contact, you know, with the, the enemy, you know, enemy contact on a daily basis if you're in a tactical unit, because there's this ground you know, fighting unit that can be taught and go through boot camps pretty quick on how to deal with, you know, attackers and learn things like top IOC progression, you know, how to do, you know, model, you know, execution models and, and, and you know, execution analysis models, these kind of things for quickly being able to determine, you know, whether we've got, a, you know, a bad guy on prem or, or you know, a bad guy in our, in our environment or not, and whether they were successful or not, we could teach that pretty quick. And, um, you know, probably, you know, maybe within, you know, call it six months to a year, you, you know, you're going to be up to speed on the tactical unit. And you'll be able to hold your own weight provided you've, you know, gone through the correct boot camps and the correct training. The governance risk compliance side, though, on the other hand, that's a completely different skill set. And I think that, you know, coming out of school, at least, understanding, you know, having any type of legal background is awesome. Um, having, you know, uh, the capability to, author, write well, communicate well, uh, customer experiences, learning how to deal with the business units that you're going to deal with in large corporations is extremely important. Getting, getting those business units to be motivated uh, to, to, to get their job done. So there's probably some leadership in there. I think it's probably more soft skills on the GRC side than are needed maybe on the, on the, on the tactical side. I'm not saying we don't teach our tactical teams soft skills because we do. They interface with our customers, and a lot of that's you know through electronic communication, which sometimes can be horrifying when they see the way people write. Uh, but on the GRC side, and, or in the you know on the risk side, you know I, I think um, you know some of the soft skills are, are probably more important. And then of course just you know critical thinking and experience is really what ride, rides there. I don't think you can, I don't think you can go get a C risk or you know have never been in cyber or not or, or like that. You know you, you can. I, I don't, I'm not excluding people from doing this, but I don't think you could be on a help desk team and then just go right into GRC and expect to interface with, you know, any of the, you know, any of the high level people on this call. I, I, that, that's not going to happen. 
Uh, but you might be able to do that, you know, if you're on the help desk team to go to a tactical uh, deal. So I kind of bifurcate them into two. I think they're two different skill sets. But what I would like to see more of is, the, you know, cross-function, cross-experiences so that people can understand the value proposition on both sides. I think we would reduce some of the friction that traditionally I've seen in large organizations between those two camps. And more importantly, getting the friction reduced with the business units, having business units understand our value proposition as a security team. You know, we probably have the smallest budgets and the smallest teams, uh, but you know, it, you know we, have, we could have the biggest impact uh, if, we, if we don't do our jobs well uh, for the entire company. So I hope that answers your question. That was terrific. Thank you so much for sharing your perspectives tonight. I'm gonna to turn it over to Anil. Thanks, Lisa. John Mack, uh, I know when you, you talked about your background, your experiences, you definitely highlighted some, uh, some of the strong family work ethic and, and also giving back. Uh, can you give us um, you know, some of your insights on the importance of mentorship and some of the stuff you do outside of work? I know you're actively involved in a lot of volunteer groups, some cyber, some outside of cyber. Can you speak to that? And again, some of those traits that you think is not only serving as a great leader, but also uh, instills that some of that camaraderie and capabilities within your teams? Yes, sir. So, yeah, I mean, I, I involved with, you know, several volunteer organizations. I probably when I got to my mid-30s, I really started to appreciate you know volunteerism uh, more than I ever had. I always I think I always appreciated mentorship. I don't know that I was always I, I might have mentored people in my 30s. Uh, that, that probably didn't start until I was like my 40s. I might have maybe I mentored them on you know tactical, you know, ways to do things tactically. Uh, but, you know, from a leadership perspective, that, that didn't happen until later. Uh, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I probably didn't believe that I was qualified for that. And, you know, I continued to educate myself, make myself a stronger leader, become more disciplined in that. Um, the, the work ethic is, you know, all of us on, on the phone obviously have a, have a you know, tremendous work ethic. And we understand that. And that's what got us here. Um, and so that's... I would say it's the single biggest thing that we do even at GuardSite is when, we, when we're looking for people, that's what we're looking for. We're, we're looking for that attitude, that, you know, message addressing your approach to life and, um, you know, and how, how we can mentor each other and how, how we can train each other. My outside involvement is, you know, I'm, I'm involved with uh, you know, the Marine Corps, um, their cyber team. I'm, um, I'm, you know, a volunteer firefighter in my community. I recently have taken a, somewhat of an LOA, but I'm, I'm still involved with that. And uh, I help those teams, uh, especially if we have wildland issues. You know, I, I'm, I'm not involved as much as like when there's a car crash on the freeway, I, I don't go out on those as much anymore. But I do, you know, stay tight with the team. You know, if we have wildland, learning that, you know, because, you know, there, there's less equipment involved, less, you know, things that you have to operate when you're on the side of the freeway or if you're dealing with a structural fire, you know, there's a lot of equipment constant training and constant reps on that. But really the, 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 the bottom of that is just learning volunteerism. I, I think volunteerism for me anyway has spiritually helps guide me. Um, it makes me a better individual. It, it, it helps me become uh, a better version of myself, which I'm always trying to do. You know, I'm involved with the jiu-jitsu community. 
Uh, I like to, you know, I'm in my mid-50s, but I very much enjoy fighting people that are in their 20s. Keeps you in good shape, and uh, it's a challenge. <laughs> Uh, but it's it's a lot of fun, and so uh, I you know I'm involved in my local community here. I mentioned I'm, I'm you know doing food drives, and I'm I don't really think about it as so me. I don't I don't really think about it that way. I think about it as the, you know what teams I can be involved in that can help improve our society and help improve us as individuals and make us better and contribute to a better America. Um, how how can we all do that? I, I, I'd like to see more people do that, but I I, I can only control me. So I find teams and groups and people that are into that kind of thing, and I and I try to get involved with them and help them. And um, and as far as mentorship goes, I mean, you know, I, I would say you know, ninety-eight. One of my we have a thing here at Guard Site called Clarity. It happens once a week on Wednesdays. Anybody can present on any topic. We get you know, probably sixty-five percent of the company shows up. It's volunteer. It's awesome. Um, you know, we we have everything from you know how to deal with fatigue to you know, how to communicate well. We, we have all types of, of, of really cool things. And that, that's a form of mentorship. And, and it's critically important for us all to find that. But I think it's also critically important for us to listen for it. And I mentioned, like, I had some good mentors throughout my career. What I didn't mention is that I didn't always listen for the mentorship. You know, I was, uh, it, it happened, you know, later, probably you know, my mid-30s to early 40s. I mean, that might be normal. I don't know. I've never really studied that. Uh, but, you know, I, I didn't always listen for it. You know, I had my way, and I was disciplined about the way we were going to get something done. And my mission was to find a bad guy and terminate him. We were going to all do it that way. We were going to listen. But I didn't. it took me a while to appreciate mentorship. Once I, re, once I embraced that, once I received that, you know, I became a better mentor. I became a better leader. For that, and I knew the value in that. And still today, we, you know, I'm, I would say, you know, a predominant mentor in our company. I think our, my employees would agree with that. But, but we have that throughout our company. So for any of those that interface with us, you'll know that. Like we develop our employees as as assets, and, and we want them to be marketable. That's the, one of the first things we tell people when they come in. We want you to be marketable. And we're going to help you be marketable, but you're going to control your own destiny and do it. So, you know, mentorship is a critical component for any of any teams to develop. Um, and it's, I think, you know, for me, the birth of mentorship was when I started to receive and accept it. And, you know, and today I focus on mentoring others. Uh, it doesn't matter where they came from. You know, I recently hired a, a PhD, you know, a PhD in humanities who had just had enough of, you know, theory and academia and wanted to get in the fight. And, and we mentor him. And I mean, he, he provides mentorship in other ways for our employees that you know, normally traditionally wouldn't be associated with cyber. Uh, but it's, it's critically important, I think, volunteerism and mentorship. And they're both things that you know, I'm involved with. Thanks, John. Uh, thanks, Anil. Uh, uh, you good, Anil? You want to say something? Sorry. Yeah, no, I was just coming. I appreciate that, the insights, John. You know, and uh, I enjoyed that write up about uh, your internal clarity session regarding the night shift presentation. So I thought that was great. But also oh, the fact you. that uh, you also you give the fact that you highlight your teammates, right? Uh, do with the video, well, give them, give them the, the team collectively, individual. Uh, you know, time, uh, airtime to uh, sh showcase that individual personality and, you know, what they do. So that's great. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. I, on I, to I you, Naveen. Real quick, hey, Tom, Tomas, before you jump in on that, Anil, I'm just going to add something real quick on that, by the way. What I would say sure. is there is in no way 
do I direct every one of those, you know, mentorship comms, mentorship committees, mentorship groups? Those are developed by my teammates. I, 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 they, they get all the credit for that. I may have provided them a framework. I may have provided them a path of opportunity. I have may provided them insight and vision on how to get that done, but they're the ones that actually get it done in tactical. So I appreciate you, you know, recognizing some of those write-ups and, you know, us being a little bit transparent with, you know, how we run our business here. And, and a lot of that's to, you know, attract new, new talent where, you know, if you've got that mindset, you'll be good for us. But I want to make it, you know, abundantly clear that it, it's my teammates uh, that, that actually do that. You know, I, I just happen to be, I just happen to be at the top, top seat with, a, with just a great view of, you know, that culture and their collaboration. No, and that's great. And, and like you said, I think par a part of that is you're empowering the team, but but you're also giving them the latitude to shine uh, in that environment, so to give them the avenue. So that's great, great that you're offering that out. Thank you, sir. Naveen, over to you. Hey, John, thank you for being open and sharing your insights. As you were giving us your journey, two words that stuck out for me, which we talk about all the time, is learning how to pivot and adapting. So I'd love for you to share some tips on um, how you've learned to pivot so successfully and learn to adapt to all the different things in your journey um, for the audience for us today. Thank you. Yes, sir. Uh, I mean, everybody on this call knows this word. It's uh, failure. <laughs> I probably failed at 30 things already today. Yeah, I, I know I, I, I probably, you know, I, I, you know I, start, I start my day around, you know, most days, uh, or at least three days a week, you know, about 3.30 in the morning, and uh, you know, I drive so that, you know, so that I'm in the dojo by six. And that, that usually starts with some kind of failure. <laughs> and so, you know, the way that I learned to pivot and adapt was probably much the same way, I, you know, I became a better mentor was I, I started to embrace failure. I started to listen to it. Interestingly enough, the pro I would say there's probably a couple of significant, uh, you know, points in my, in my life. Uh, one of them uh, that I'll bring up today actually happened at a driving range. And so I worked with a professional instructor. You know, when I was living in California, I don't, I, I haven't lived in California for a while. When I was living in California, you know, we have nice weather in California, in Southern California, in Ventura. And I had always been an athlete and I probably started playing golf when I was I don't know, 19, 20. And you know, I, got, I got pretty good. And, you know, I played in a lot of county and city and state tournaments and stuff like that. But as, you know, I got to this point where I just, I, I couldn't, and you learn, you know, of course, if, you, if you've ever played any type of sport or golf or, you know, something like that, you know, you learn to fail, you, you fail. But what I wasn't learning when I was failing there was I was, I was just trying to win. I wasn't embracing the failure. I wasn't learning from the failure the way that I should have, the way that I do now, the way that I take failure and I use that as, you know, opportunity for improvement, which is a term that we use throughout our So what is the opportunity for improvement? And so what happened to me was I was on, you know, I had a, had a professional instructor, you know, and he played on a tour, and he's, you know, European tour, or the US tour, and he's really, you know, top level golfer, and I, you know, played a bunch of matches with him, he's a crazy good golfer, and I hired him as an instructor. And one time when we were instructing, I think, you know, he was like, hit me a low hook with, 
you know, out to 175, you know, 150 yards with, you know, this, you know, low, low iron that we might not normally hit something at 200 yards with. And of course, I hit it three or four times and I got frustrated and I wasn't doing it. And, you know, I, I was, you know, outwardly frustrated. And, uh, and, and he, you know, he read me the riot act. I mean, here I am paying this guy to help me make, become a better player. And I've been working with him for a while. And he stopped and he said, you know, I'm not going to spend my time with you anymore because you know what? You don't learn from failure. You never learn from failure. I mean, literally in my face, he's screaming at me. We're on the driving range. People are looking at us. And, I, and you know, boy, did that, that just, that just hit me like right viscerally, just like from the gut up. And, and I thought about that on my way home and I just started to embrace it. I just started to embrace failure. And that was probably in my, you know, early, now, I don't, maybe somewhere in my 30s. And, you know, I, I started to become, you know, more, more receptive to failure. And that's probably what taught me better how to pivot and how to adapt. And in business, as an entrepreneur, for those of you that are entrepreneurs, and those of you that own your own businesses, and even for those that you have it, you know, you're failing all the time, especially in high-level positions for the CISOs and stuff that are on the call. You know, it's, it's challenging. One of my employees asked during a clarity session, we had a clarity session about conflict, and they asked me, you know, hey, you know, do you, do you spend a lot of time dealing with conflict? And I said, 98% of my time is spent dealing with conflict. I'm not talking about uh, customer, you know, dissatisfaction, not that kind of conflict, uh, although that could be conflict. It's just different conflict as, as a CEO of a company. You're always dealing with conflict. And if you don't embrace, you know, some of the failures of those, then you won't get better. And so you have to fail a thousand times, you know, I mean, it's, it's, or, or, it's Malcolm Bible said it's like 8,000 times for reps, but, you know, if you're just really good at something all the time, you're probably not learning, you're probably not seeing the entire, you know, landscape, you're not seeing the opportunities that are around you because you're just so focused on, you know, just winning and succeeding and you're letting your ego get in the way. Now, I'm never, I've never been somebody like an ego, I'm not a narcissist, uh, but we all have egos I and mean, we all know that. And so it was just learning how to tame that and understanding, you know, how, how my neurology, my physiology, my neurology work better and, and being able to help tame that. And most importantly, just embracing it and, and also embracing the fear. And you, you learn a lot of that through, you know, to, through if you're doing any type of, you know, hand-to-hand combat with, you know, full-grown adult males, and you'll learn that real quick is you just have to kind of learn to tame that. And, and that's probably how I did that. And I still do that today. And in business, you know, like I said, I probably failed at 30 things today. Um, I, you know, I'm being hyperbolic, but you know, when I fail, I, I, yeah, I'm not emotional about it. I assess data points. I ask, you know, when I'm working with my teammates, I require them to bring me data so that I can make decisions. Uh, and when we fail, when we succeed. Uh, but I would say probably the thing that you know, the way that I learned to pivot was I learned to fail. Thank you, John. There's nothing more humbling when it comes to failure than the game of golf. So I agree with you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Tomas, back to you. Thanks, Naveen. Thanks, uh, John Mack. Thanks for that. Bez, thanks for joining us this evening. Anything you want to ask uh, John Mack? There's no bathroom breaks. Sorry about that. Um, uh, just came, Go ahead. This just came on board here. Um, hey, um, John, I, thanks for taking us down that memory lane. And 
um, you know, with some of the technology. Uh, I do remember those days. And um, but you and I may know the same person. Um, do you know Jake Chisana? He, he used to work for Proteon and uh, Raycal Datacom. That was back in the day. That's a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, I would say at my uh, advanced young age, you know, sometimes I have trouble remembering what I had for breakfast on Tuesday. Uh, so I, 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 got I don't you. remember that name specifically. Yeah, and there, there was some Burkharts, but... Um, but uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember a Burkhart from uh, the, uh, back in, back in the, I think it was a Cabletron day. It could, yeah, it, could, it could have been, but uh, I, I, there was a couple of them, um, but yeah, cable truck. I think you and I know that I was in Southern California at that time in 92, had come out of, the, out of uh, college and decided to be a headhunter and really disappointed everybody in my uh, family. And, um, you know, my mom asked me how much you're going to get paid. And I'm like, um, it's commission hundred percent. I didn't want to tell her that I was going to make $5 an hour draw, you know, because that's not what you go to college for. Um, but I was there in orange County off one city plaza and in my, you know, uh, after year one, I hopped, I decided to focus in the telecom industry and, um, yeah, that, that was good times, um, up till, you know, the clock struck midnight in 2000. Uh, it was some wild days and great times. Uh, met a lot of great people. Um, but you just bring in some of these companies. I was, I was like, oh my goodness. I know so many people from those companies. So it was it's nice to just come up here and say hi. So uh, I appreciate that. I think I have uh, probably have employees, you know, or my teammates. I try to, I try to refer to them as my teammates because that's what they are. You know, some, some of them were born after, you know, I started my career and, and probably even before I started my first company. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're, we're older than dirt, man, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth. So. Yeah, I, 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 I'm still having a hard time with that, but my kids tell me I'm old, but I'm like, I'm only 53. Come on, I still got a, a half a life to live, so. <laughs> Your mid-50s is the new 30s, there you go. Yeah, it, there you go. But, but uh, let me ask you this, um, you know, just listening to your story was really fascinating. Um, how do you think cybersecurity is going to change uh, or what's going to happen when quantum computing shows up? Um, you know, I, I've read so much on quantum, both, both sides, uh, you know, but let's say let's let's say it, it plays out. You know, I think the biggest challenge we would have there is you know just uh, you know our wire security and you know, most certainly anything that we've encrypted at rest because uh, of course you know the, 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 you know the thing about encryption is it's just only a matter of time and and that's why it keeps getting better. It's about speed, power, mathematical computation. And, and that's probably the thing that, you know, probably scares people most about quantum. You know, where that's at in terms of application, in terms of usefulness, uh, you know, that, that would be the other side of the story that I've read. Uh, I, I'm not sure. It's, it's definitely not a, a, a priority, you know, for, for our company. And I don't see, I, I, I expect, you know, some of the enterprise firms have, have 
you know, they're, they're downfield looking at that because like that's, that's a huge impact. But I don't see like tomorrow, you know, that somebody's just going to, you know, again, I, I could be wrong. You know, you know how tech works. I mean, they could just have them all. Uh, but reality of it is there's some, you know, serious, you know, technology that has to happen there. And, you know, it, so, so we'll see where that goes. But I would think that's probably the biggest threat to us immediately would just be, does our wider security stand up to it, and does our you know data at rest that's encrypted stand up to that? Uh, is that I, I think the I think probably you know I think that the, the bigger problem for us now and, and in the foreseeable future uh, there, there's 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 a couple things that I that I'm looking downfield at. Um, I'm looking at something near term, which I just it's just a problem, which is just the explosion of data in terms of where it's at. And the exposure of that. So I'll give you an example of that. Um, and all of us are familiar with it. Um, you know, in the maybe the due diligence area of life. So an auditors, um, specifically when we hire outside of you know large auditing firms to do various things, whether it's uh, you know audited financials, whether it's SOC two, um, you know whether it's company due diligence. Um, benefits, data, whatever it is. Uh, the reality of it is, is that we try to do a pretty good job. We have zero trust architectures now, which is fantastic. I think we've had those for a while. We've reframed those and you know, we put them into something that's digestible for people to understand. Uh, but the issue we have is we have these you know, secure systems that have vaults of data that's protected, but, but the, that data is, it's moves in transit and it oftentimes is not you know, what we would have seen back in the day, like a green screen, where we know where it got, you know, where it leaked, where it was out. And sometimes today, that data, when we think about a hack, you know, we think about, you know, Uber just got hacked, and, you know, somebody reached in and grabbed a database, you know, several repositories somewhere. Uh, but the reality of it is, for those of us that are, you know, intimately familiar with, you know, dark web channels, there, there's a lot of data out there. And that data often, you know, comes from parties that, you know, are actually touching that data, and they may have really good controls, uh, but the data is, you know, I call it residue. There's a lot of residue all over the place that leads to, you know, bigger attacks. How you solve that problem is, you know, definitely our compliance folks help us with that and creating awareness programs with that and, you know, showing people, you know, the, the right ways to handle data. And it, it, I, I don't think we, you know, We'd say, well, sensitive data, to me, it's, you know, what, what's not sensitive about it all? It's all sensitive. Let's just, let's just try to get that problem, you know, problem solved. We have this proliferation of, you know, just data residue all over the place about all of us. And, you know, that data is valuable not only to criminal actors, but, you know, it's also valuable to nation states and, and anybody that has a motive. So I think that's, a, that's something that I see, um, you know, and it's not just, you know, we have, we have, I don't, I don't think it can rely with the user. We have to have better sophistication. Uh, and I know at the enterprise companies, we have that type of weaponry. We can see into the wire and, you know, we have the ability to, you know, detect those kinds of things. But think about the, 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 sometimes the nature of data when it lands on an asset and how long that stays there, you know, that, that's a problem. And it, so again, you know, large large enterprises have sophisticated weaponry for that, but that's not always the case when you're dealing with, you know, maybe an auditing firm or something like that. It just doesn't exist, and it, it might exist, but it might not be implemented correctly. 
So I think that's the first problem that I see. We were, we were addressing quantum computing on this and that. I think the other thing that is really important are just some of the technologies that are outside maybe our typical you know, thought process, which is just in general drones. I, I think we've got you know, security around drones is massive. It's not only a massive opportunity, uh, and, and Tomas may you know, have, have a perspective on this just because of what his nature of his job in the stadiums and all the stuff that he has to protect. Uh, but, but drones themselves are, are really interesting. As a matter of fact, I saw an article this morning you know, about a drone that was so small that it unlocked the vault. The drones are getting smaller. The, it's not just the supply chain, the security of the drone, but if you think about like drone delivery in itself, you know, if you think about back in the West when they had stagecoaches that got robbed, drones could get robbed. Um, the, the actual software that goes into drones, uh, drone surveillance, uh, just drones in general, I think, are something that probably CISOs are start to pick up, especially if you're a large, you know, we have large retail customers in our portfolio with, you know, thousands of retail locations across the country, and there's a convergence there. Anyway, I, th I think drone security is, is going to be a real, a real big issue. We're not talking a lot about that. We're talking about drones and drones for military applications and drone swarms and drone delivery and drone charging and all the you know ecosystem around drones but again security is an afterthought almost like it was you know as we came up you know security was an afterthought and of course today it's in the boardroom and it's, it's, it's at the forefront of our IT systems but I, I would say you know that that's probably something we need to consider even before we're considering quantum because drones are here and they're coming I mean we, we've got guys on our team that you know come out of the military that you know are intimately familiar with that technology and those technologies and you know UAV systems in themselves and so I'm, I'm, I'm really tracking, kind of keeping an eye on that stuff and, and trying to see what's going to happen there. Thanks, Bez. Thanks for, thanks for your question. Uh, I, I was going to comment and say one thing. I think with, with respect to the, to the quantum uh, computing, I think we will see uh, a lot more attacks on, on those cold storage locations. So physical attacks, people trying to actually steal, steal disk and then potentially uh, uh, using the the advances in technology to and encrypt that data, so that may be an interesting thing to uh, to keep an eye on as as quantum com computing becomes a, a little bit popular, or, or I don't want to call it popular, but mainstream. Uh, in addition to everything else that might that might entail, so just a thought on that. Um, not going to comment on the drone thing, but I agree with you, John Mac. That is a problem. Uh, Irvin, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us this evening. Welcome to Clubhouse. You got the little party hat or celebration hat, so thanks for taking the time out of your day to join us. Uh, anything you want to ask John Mack? And if you need a quick uh, tutorial, oh, you got it. No, oh, yeah, sorry. Number. Last week, it got me last week too. Hey, John, I really appreciate you sharing your story with us. Um, anytime you can get Nate to say simplify, I, I think that's a good meeting. So um, <laughs> always, always appreciate that. Um, one thing I take away from your story is there's a lot of great transition opportunities that you had that were kind of, to me, scary. What What is the transition that you had that you went in with both feet that you were like, I don't know, this 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 may be the scariest thing I've ever done. Because I have a lot of guys transitioning out of the military, and I love your military lens, that they're transitioning from something that's very known, even though it's very um, tactical. They're, they're changing entire career, ways of life almost. And so those are very scary transitions. But you had a lot of those. So what's the one that you had that you were like, I don't know if this is going to work and how'd that turn out? You know, I think about it, you know, I, I'm, I'm at Bank of America, you know, like, like a 
tall, I'm you know, happily married, I've got you know, security, and, you know, property, you know, assets, all that kind of stuff. And then you know, I wake up and say, hey, this one. And you know, of course, for those entrepreneurs who are on the call, those people that are involved with that, you know, early on, you know, as you mature, that kind of fades a little bit. But you know, 98%, you know, it's like being a fighter pilot, you know, 98%, you know, uh, well, I would say cyber's like being a fighter pilot, 98%, you know, boredom accentuated by 2% sheer terror. But being entrepreneurs is 98% sheer terror accentuated by 2% boredom. So probably the thing of the unknown to jump into is, is you know, is entrepreneurship. I, I don't think that was ever so much of my career um, because I was always, you know, I, I, I was so focused on a tactical domain that I wanted to pursue uh, that it wasn't, it wasn't scary for me. Uh, but, you know, maybe leaving, you know, all of that security behind, I, I think, I, again, I'd have to probably bring that to my, back to my childhood, like the material aspects of my being are, are less important to me than, you know, the spiritual aspects of my being and, you know, the discipline approach that I have in life. So anything that in, in, in involved, you know, money, uh, insecurity, uh, I, 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 could, I could deal with that when you're, of course, you know, but, you know, I've got people that depend on me and so that they have to be part of that mission. And I, and I would say that, you know, like for entrepreneurs that know that, you know, my spouse, my wife, like, you know, my best friend, she's been married for 28 years. You know, she, she's been along for that whole ride. And they, they're often overlooked, probably just like, you know, oftentimes military spouses are. We, we have that here because we still have folks that, you know, uh, they're employed here, but they'll, they'll get, to, you know, they'll get deployed, you know, in various theaters for some, some time. And, you know, their military spouses are impacted by that. I would say entrepreneurs' prices were impacted by that. So I would say that's probably it. And, but I would like to comment too on, if I could, on just the military transition. So, you know, um, that, oh man, you know, we, we recently just, oh, for, to simplify you there, is we just recently hired two more Marines. And I don't, you know, I, I, I don't think I can get in trouble for this for, you know, from an HR perspective and for all my, you know, for all the other, you know, service people, you know, Army, Navy, uh, you know, Air Force, Coast Guard, uh, you know, my Marines are, are my favorite, my favorite. Uh, they, they come, they come pre-baked uh, with some serious discipline, some serious fight. Although, again, I have, you know, all branches of service on, on our roster. So those guys will be hitting me up tomorrow morning if they get wind of this. And, you know, maybe they'll be at the dojo. Uh, but what I would say to those folks is that if there's any fear there, just abandon it. I'm going to give you an example. We have a guy on our team uh, that I actually saw him on a LinkedIn post uh, because I'm connected to uh, a, a, a Marine who uh, is, you know, does a lot of good work in the industrial control space. He was a scout sniper back in the 90s. And, uh, and, I, and I've trained with, you know, scout sniper and recon guys. So I know their mentality and their makeup and the way they work. And I really like one of those guys. Um, but, the, but this guy, you know, was Marine. It, you know, there still is Marine. What's Marine? Always Marine. And he's, you know, he put a post out there and said, hey, you know, I'm trying to transition. He wasn't whining, he wasn't complaining, he was just pointing out the fact that, you know, cyber is, you know, we've got this huge demand in cyber, it's such a low supply, but it's tough for these folks to break in uh, because, you know, they don't have that initial experience. And that's what I was talking at the beginning when I was talking with Lisa about, you know, just the tactical experience and, you know, start start there. You know, get on a, get on a grunt team and work your, work your way up. You know, start, just go make contact with the enemy on a daily basis, learn how to fight, learn how to do some analysis, learn how to talk up the chain. Those kind of things, and and that's what I would recommend for those guys. But anyway, this guy posted on there, 
you know, I, I don't understand if, you know, I tried to get out of this. He had gone into LEO, was doing some stuff, um, and, you know, wanted to get out of LEO. It was dangerous, and, you know, wanted to still fight bad guys, work in your conditioned buildings, get paid to do it, uh, probably go home alive at night. That's cyber. That's where you want to be. And, but he couldn't get hired because, you know, you need, you know, five years of, you know, something, even though, you know, you, you, you probably don't need that, but you probably get a chance. So I, I recall that, it, you know, he wasn't whining again, but I recall everybody writing to him. Oh, you need to go get this, sir. Oh, hey, you got to go over here. Oh, hey, you got to spend. And that's, that's not what you need. What you need is a shot. So I just wrote a one-liner, apply here. And, and that's it. Like, they won't get any help from me beyond that because that's not fair to my teammates or my customers or if he ends up getting employed in those environments. Like, he has to go through that, and he did it, and he's on the team, and he's a stud. And I would say for any of the folks that are on the, on the call, that, and I don't know that we have that, but for those folks that are in the military that know those people, that's what you want to do. Like, abandon that fear, <clears throat> go for it. There's a real good possibility they're going to say no. Here's what you'll get, though. You'll get that no experience. You'll fail. You'll learn the questions they're asking you. You'll be able to appreciate that, and you'll just keep grinding because that's what you're made up of. So, you know, I, 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 the second part of my question was, the second part of uh, my response wasn't a question that you asked, but I wanted to bring that up because I think it's important. And, uh, you know, we have, you know, well, well over 20% of, uh, of our team is, is veterans, uh, and, and we owe that, you know, to them. While I was building my career throughout, you know, the 2000s, and, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the men and women that were, or, you know, now that we've, you know, come, you know, now that we're not really fighting anywhere, you know, they, they were, they were fighting, and they were overseas, and, you know, I was, I was under their blanket of freedom, and, and I owe that to them, and I think we all do, as leaders, we need to give them a shot, so find out where we can put them, you can run around and tell people you support the military, but what you really need to do is hire them, and, and, and that doesn't exclude people that aren't in the military. It just means, hey, man, you know, give them a shot. And they probably come pre-baked with discipline. I mean, our culture, for those of you that have dealt with us, will know it's a Roger that culture. Like, yes, sir, no, sir. We'll get that done for you, sir. Thank you for the opportunity, sir. All that comes with our military folks. So, so I, I went off on that tangent. It wasn't a question you asked, but I thought it was important for the audience to hear that. No, I really appreciate it. That's great feedback, and that's definitely something I'm taking back to my Joes. Um, I, I do have a follow-up real quick if I have time. Um, is there something that could tempt you now to transition again? I know you're at where you want to be, but is there a field or a, a thing that you could do that you would like, you know what? Yeah, I'm in. Oh, ta uh, just, you know, ta tactical, you know, tra training, teaching, you know, of civilians primarily, um, on, you know, various tactical aspects of, uh, I, I'm, I'm just really attracted to that. It's something I'm passionate about. You know, non-tech related, if you mean. If it were tech related, you know, drone, drone security is high on my list. Uh, but I think, I'll, you know, that'll probably be an adjacency or maybe even the core service that we add here at the guard site. So from a tech perspective, it's probably probably drones, you know. I'm, uh, but the, the part that I'm really attracted to is in life is just, you know, the tactical aspects of, you know, shooting a mile, a target a mile out with, you know, a long range you know, sniper rifle. Uh, teaching people, you know, hand hand combat. Teaching people, you know, how to operate and shoot houses. And there, you know, there may be people on the call that, you know, that, that's not their thing. But the, the, these are things that I do. They're, they're therapeutic for me. Uh, I enjoy teaching people how to do it um, and how to be safe and how to be responsible, uh, how to protect themselves, how to protect those around them. Uh, so yeah, that, that's probably what I would do if I had to transition. I appreciate it. Thanks, John.
Thanks, Irvin. Thanks for joining the conversation this evening. Uh, great to have you here. Um, just looking quickly at the chat. There's a lot of no questions in the chat. All right, John Mack. Look, it is it is close to uh, close to to the end of the segment. Uh, we've got about three minutes or so, and I want to be respectful of everybody's time. I do want to just make a very quick announcement. Um, as as I mentioned in the outset, we do this every single Wednesday uh, for about an hour and a half or so. Uh, please tune back in next week, Wednesday, October 5th. We're joined by uh, Zanette, who's actually in the audience uh, this evening. Uh, Zanette will be uh, joining us and sharing her origin story, her journey. Uh, so I'm looking forward to uh, to that conversation. Looking forward to everybody uh, coming back and tuning in for that conversation as well. Uh, so, John Mack, without further ado, I do want to ask you, which is, I'll call it typically my, my, my last question, but this is this is a reflection question. Uh, you've got a lot of years of experience. Uh, you've got maybe just a couple of years on me, I'll say. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you had to look back and you had to give one piece of advice to the younger John Mack, what would it be and why? Get, get disciplined sooner. I've lived two adult lives. One that was, I was never like completely undisciplined. I was always, always had some level of discipline. Uh, but, you know, when I hit my 30s, you know, I, I started becoming really disciplined. And today I'm extremely disciplined in everything that I do. And, and the team that I lead you know, follows that lead. And so it's not a regret. I don't have any regrets. I would just, you know, the answer to the question is you know, become more disciplined and, uh, and, and, and do more for your community. Yeah, I didn't appreciate that until, you know, I, again, I got, probably got into my 30s. But that may, that may be a natural thing, you know, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, just get disciplined sooner. I like it. Get disciplined sooner and uh, do more for your community. The biggest gift is the one that you give, I think. Uh, so, moderators, any final words for uh, for John Mack? I just wanted to thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you, Lisa. John Mack, thanks for taking the time and, and providing your insights. Yes, sir. Thank you, Anil. I appreciate it. John, thanks for, uh, thanks for uh, again, taking us down memory lane with some of the, the earlier part of the conversation. Thanks for sharing your insight and your journey. Uh, it's been a very interesting one, uh, which and you're still going, which is which is great. So it, it's not over for you. I'm looking forward to seeing where where you take uh, guard side and and what you do next, uh, you know, into the future. So, thanks again for taking the the time. I'll leave you with the final words. Yep. So thank you, thank you again to everybody that participated. I really appreciate it. Thank you to the panel for the great, wonderful questions. Thanks for all the, the, the military contingents, the, the military folks that joined. And Tomas, thank you so much, sir. I appreciate the invite. That's a cool thing for you to reach out to me and say, hey, jump on here and share some stuff. I, I, I really appreciate that about you and, you know, just you embracing that and inviting people to collaborate. That, that's really important to me. So thank you, sir. No, the pleasure's all mine. You're welcome. Uh, look forward to, uh, to chatting with you soon again. And uh, everybody who, who tuned in, uh, thank you all for, for attending and participating. Uh, have a good rest of your week. We will see you back next Wednesday. Same time, same channel. See you all. Bye, everybody. Have a good rest of your week. Cheers.